Our scripture reading is from James chapter 1, again, starting at verse 19. And we will go to chapter 2, to verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at, <clears throat> at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May God bless to us the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty triune God, what a privilege it is that we can gather together for worship, that we can lift our hearts to you in prayer, that we can lay before you all of our concerns and our needs. You hear us and you answer. What mercy and what grace you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. Now we ask, Father, by your spirit, that the word that we have read and that we will hear explained and preached about, that it may bear fruit. 
apply it to us, that our lives increasingly may be more and more Christ-like, that we might be witnesses for you in this world, and that increasingly your name may be glorified through us and in this world. Keep us from straying thoughts and from sleepiness. Bless him who brings your word, that he may bring it in truth and in clarity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as a reminder, the focus this evening will be on the verses 22 through 25. Very similar in some ways to this morning. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Dear people of God, called to be saints, this morning we were called by James, shouldn't really put it that way, we were called by God through, through James to humbly submit to the word that is implanted in us. That means humbly accept it, humbly receive it, believe it, with the implication then that it would save us, that it would change us, which it will, which it does. The Word of God is the powerful instrument that God has used to bring us from the dead into life everlasting. By the Spirit, He implanted that Word deep within. It has transformed us and is transforming us day by day. Now in verse 22, James begins to talk about how, having received the word within, what we should do with it. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In saying this, James is gleaning the truth of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Hearing must lead to doing. For everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And we know the result. There is a real danger that because we hear sermons so regularly, that we become sermon tasters. That is, we listen, we like it, we don't. We judge its organization, its words, its content. And then we leave. And we go on about our daily affairs. And we kind of forget 
Maybe by Tuesday we have a hard time remembering what was preached. Sometimes by Monday. We, we have no argument really with what we have heard. We sometimes just don't do anything with it. We just remain unchanged and get on with whatever we want to get on with. Fellowship, coffee, living, playing, working. Have you ever done that? Left worship? Just forgot? I have a confession to make. <laughs> One time I was on a meeting to our classes, which is like a presbytery meeting, and uh, the elder in the car asked me about my sermon. This was on a Monday. And I said, which sermon? <laughs> and he couldn't remember. He says, well, what did you preach on? And I couldn't remember. <laughs> And we drove all the way from North Carolina through Virginia, through Maryland, all the way into Delaware before I thought, ah, that's what I preached on. So it happens where you can just forget. We, we sometimes have these lapses of memory, and I understand that. But the danger is when the word is preached, not just that we may have these momentary lapses, but that we simply forget or don't do anything with the word. There is a real danger of superficial Christianity. We have a church that has strong confessions. How consistent do you personally live with them? We have, we believe, I should say, in good order. All Nicely laid out in the book. How well do you follow it? And we have a good routine when it comes to worship, dialogic order of worship, and uh, we have singing and prayer and scripture reading and preaching and praying, offerings, and then we have fellowship and we have Sunday school. And there is a danger that this all becomes a routine. We just do this every Sunday. And we, we go through motions. And we can think that we are good and exemplary members because we are doing all these things that are very good and well organized in good order and according to our confession and according to the book of order and, and so on. And James is saying to us, don't just be listeners and so deceive yourselves. It's an interesting way of putting it. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. We must listen. <laughs> he just said that. We have to be hearers of the word. But are we really hearing the word that is being said 
so that we take it in, apply it, digest it, maybe do the Puritan practice of regurgitating <laughs> and redigesting. so that it takes root deep within us. The danger is that when we come to church and we go through all these motions, it's not that we can fool other people. The danger is sometimes we can go through these motions and fool ourselves. There is a danger of superficial Christianity. You know, there are people who they look for churches that are solid. They want sound doctrine. And when they find a church like sound doctrine, that's what they want. They want to have strong confessions. They want to have good teaching. They want to have solid sermons. And that's their emphasis. And there is always this accusation. Well, I shouldn't say always, but there's sometimes the accusation that such churches aren't very big on action. A kind of they just preach, teach, and minister to themselves. And there are people that say, we want a church that is active, that is serving, that's out there, they're doing things. And they always seem to start on that basis. We want to have all these programs, and that's their, their, their focal, their starting point. And uh, they want a church with zeal. And, uh, of course, that's a very poor starting point. You don't start with action. You start with the word. And zeal that's not based upon the word leads nowhere. But it's Sinclair Ferguson in his little study guide on, on James says, the important thing about a Christian is that a Christian's life must be balanced. That seems to be a, a thing that Sinclair Ferguson is really big on emphasizing. Balance. There's always to be a balance. You hear and you do. There has to be action. There has to be zeal. There has to be listening. James says, hear it and do what it says. James, uh, Jesus says that the danger is that on the day of judgment, we could say, yeah, but we did this, and we did that, and we did everything right, and, and so on. He's going to wonder who you are. There's a danger. Be careful. Don't just be hearers. Take it in, apply it, and live it. And to illustrate, James speaks of looking into a mirror. And there are different kind of mirror gazers, probably within your own families, in fact, you may, at certain points, in fact, I'm pretty sure at certain points of your life, you change your habits about looking into the mirror. There are some people who can spend a lot of time looking into a mirror. They'll notice every hair out of place, every pimple, every speck, every gray hair, every wrinkle. And when they leave, they take great care that their appearance be maintained as it was in the mirror. There are others who, they look in the mirror and 
home. And they're on their way and they totally forget what they look like for the rest of the day. The idea is that they don't really give much thought to their appearance and they just get on with living as they think they need to. It's an illustration. Those are those kind of people. And James is not encouraging us to become increasingly vain about our appearance. Another one, appearance is not unimportant. But James explains or gives this example and he applies it in terms of the Word of God. The mirror he says, is that perfect law of liberty. The word of God. The law here does not mean simply Ten Commandments or simply the Torah or simply the Old Testament. It's really here, not, not meant in contrast to the gospel. The law here is the word of God that reveals God to us and teaches us how to know him and to live before him. That's why he calls it the word of God that gives liberty. It's a word that gives us freedom from the guilt of our sin. The law, we say, is a teacher of sin, but the law does more, of course, and Christ reveals that. It teaches us a way of holiness, a way of gratitude, a way of becoming more Christ-like and God-like in our living. So it's freedom not only from the guilt of sin, but Christ teaches a way of freedom from the bondage of sin to live holy and righteous lives. That's sanctification. And it leads to eternal life with our triune God, our glorification. James is referring to a man who picks up the word and he reads it and he investigates it. He, he is studying it. He, some people are, are very fascinated with the Bible and uh, they can get caught up in it for a while. But for some people it doesn't grab them. And especially if they just started, of course, in Genesis and they get through Genesis okay and they get through the first part of Exodus and then after a while it, get into Numbers and Deuteronomy and just kind of bogs down. It it's, doesn't really do anything to them. And they go out with the way they came in. And sometimes, you could say, before they leave the church building, or the Bible study, they have forgotten what it said, because it just doesn't penetrate. Now, as I said, we can all be a bit forgetful. But the truth is, we tend to be more forgetful about things that we don't consider crucial. If we do not listen well, or if we were angry, or we are afflicted by life's trials, or we simply want things to come very easily, then we don't hear well, we don't listen well or perceive well. Perhaps we doze off, perhaps we're distracted by some thought suggested by a word or an example. Sometimes when the word is preached, we can be distracted by somebody's outfit or 
somebody's behavior in worship, or you can think of a lot of different things. We may never miss worship. We may always sit under the preaching of the word, but do we really hear it and then do what it says? We think we're okay because we've gone and we've sat under it. But James is warning about self-deception. Go out and do what the word says. As 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Don't just hear, but do. Just listening is always a danger. We are people who are very familiar with the word. And what the sermon says, we often have all heard it before. We may even think we have done all the changing we have to. There may be even the thought that when we do a prayer like this morning with confession of sin, I'm not really guilty of that part. I've changed there. I've, I, I. We may think that way. And yet, are we really doing even the basics? How does the word affect us? We hear, but are we listening? We look quickly, we listen a while, we don't have again a problem with what's being said. So sometimes we move on with little change. Sometimes we think that the sermon is very good and interesting. And sometimes we think it's very good and very interesting for somebody else. And sometimes we can feel a tinge of guilt about something that is said in the sermon. And then we start using our theology to get around it. After all, good works don't save us. So let's not be too concerned about changing. Of course, that's a danger sign right there, isn't it? We should take note of that. Now, it is impossible, this is a Heidelberg Catechism, that for those engrafted into Christ by true faith, not to bring forth fruits of gratitude or thankfulness. Superficial listening that does not result in fruits of gratitude is actually a rejection of the word because the word demands that humble repentance, change, and renewal. In fact, the word used here for hearers is closely connected to disobedience. Just hearing here is disobedience. Do not be hearers only and deceive yourself. Connection is seen in Hebrews 2. 1 and 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishments, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation?
free hear it and ignore it don't do anything with it it's disobedience how will you escape James speaks of this man who looks intently into the word that word implies he reads it and examines his heart but he implies he examines the claims of the Bible the promises of the Bible he examines the development of the Bible he wants to grow in knowledge and understanding. He wants to know the plot of the Bible. He wants to, to see the context of everything. He wants to see the larger picture of what it starts with in Genesis and, and where it's going to end up. He wants to know the whole shebang. He wants to know the central message and how it affects him and the world in which he lives and he wants that not just to satisfy his intellectual curiosity there are people who do that but the one James is speaking of there isn't doing it just out of intellectual curiosity James says he's looking in and he's studying and he's investigating and he doesn't forget what he's learning, what the Bible says about himself, about his depravity, about his sin, about his need of salvation, the possibility for him to save himself, his need of a savior, the promise of the savior, and how that's worked out, how the people of the Old Testament couldn't do it, the promise of Christ, waiting, 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 the need for faith, always the need for faith, the coming of the Christ, Christ satisfying everything. And then how to understand all of this, that even Christ dies and he goes to heaven. The kingdom doesn't come right away. How does this all fit in? And we have to understand the idea of Christ still gathering in his people. It all resulting in the new heavens and the new earth. He works it out. And then he changes his life to live in accordance with the perspective that he finds in Scripture. He doesn't forget what he's learned. He works out his salvation, not his justification, but he's working at sanctification by the grace of God because he uses the tools that God has given to him by the Spirit. He works out his salvation in fear and trembling because God is at work within him. And this is the way of blessing and freedom. Some people would think that being such people of the word, always in the word, may lead to a form of legalism. Always having to do this. Always having to have my devotions. Always reading the Bible. Always being in church. Always going to Bible study. Always devouring the Word. Being immersed in the Word. 
And so some people, as I've said before, they go into, they, they, they want to be active and they immerse themselves in action and think they're righteous because they're doing things. The danger that Luther was so afraid of because of the historical times. James, however, is echoing Paul's instruction to stand firm in our Christian freedom and not allow ourselves to become slaves again, as it were, of the law. Galatians 5 verse 1, stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, if we understand the whole redemptive message of the Bible, how God from eternity in time, pardon me, from eternity, has planned a bride for his son. And in time, gathering that bride for his son. How he is working out most wonderful salvation for his bride. And he is bringing us to live with him in eternity in the new heavens and the earth. If we understand that this is ours, is the gift of grace from before the foundation of the world, not of anything we have done, but simply a gift of grace. We are sinners. There's not a thing we can do to add anything to our salvation. If we understand that, even as we read the law, then we will not be burdened again by a new legalism, by a new bondage of works righteousness. The whole message is that Christ has implanted by the Spirit his word in us. That has brought us to newness of life. We have his Spirit, and through the word, the Spirit is changing us that we are Christ-like. And of course, he is the exact representation of the Father. So we study the word to see Christ, who leads us to the Father who leads us into a greater fellowship with our triune God. And we want to see him, and then we want to imitate him. We want to be like him. We want to put into practice his teaching. And we discover that in good times and in bad times, we now have a joy. We now have a hope. There's now a delight in following Christ. We know what we've been given. We have inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we want to stay in that. We never want to lose that. And so we are people of the Word. Because if you don't keep this before you, the vision isn't kept before you. There's a danger. You can get distracted by what's around you. If we have looked into this mirror, and if we have understood ourselves correctly, and if we have seen ourselves lost in our own sin and destined for eternal darkness apart from Christ, and then we've come to understand who we are in Christ, if indeed we are in him, 
fact, we've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. Then we know that this is the perfect law of freedom. David in the Old Testament said it in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does he say next? Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. James is taking that image and he's putting it in a New Testament context where Christ is taking the Old Testament law and he's expanded it, showed its full meaning, that he himself is the fullness of all of this. And in Christ, we have this perfection that revives the soul, this wisdom for the simple, this great reward. How much more should we be able to say what David said, now that we have the New Testament. We see Jesus, who said it is finished on the cross, and who is now raised in glory. He has set us free, and he is leading us in freedom. And if you read the book of Revelation, that's a freedom that is guaranteed for us. The devil wants us to think we are free only when we are doing precisely what we want in our sinful natures. And if that doesn't work, if you don't feel free living according to your sinful natures, he wants to convince you to go back and start keeping every one of the Old Testament laws. Because if you don't keep all the Old Testament laws perfectly, then you're going to die. It says so right in the Bible. Cursed is everyone who doesn't keep all of it. Yeah. The devil's going to keep you in one way or the other. If you understand this book, then the way of freedom is Christ. It's what he has done and is doing. Believe him, follow him. If you look intently into this word, you see yourselves and you see Christ. You see yourself in Christ. And you make this a regular daily practice. And practice remembering. Go out and do it. That's the way of blessing. It's a way of freedom. This word will have a lasting changing effect so that we can live it out increasingly. That's called then perseverance of the saints. Yes, we can and we do fall into sin, sadly, sometimes very serious sins. But then again, pick up the word and look into that perfect law of freedom and see that the path of freedom does not depend upon me. It depends upon Christ. And keep looking to him. Keep watching, keep hoping, keep praying, keep walking in the footsteps of Christ. Remember those two houses from the Sermon on the Mount? When troubles come, if we are not firmly founded in Christ, 
we can easily be washed away. Jesus is saying, you have to listen to me. And do what I say. Because I'm doing what my father said. Take up your cross and follow me, he says. The rock of ages, the sure and lasting foundation. For then we are free in the storms of life. That's why James includes all this right here in this section about trials. This is how to live in a world of opposition and trouble. There is only one way of freedom, of blessing, and that is of immersing ourselves in the way, the truth, and the life, and that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ is revealed in the law of freedom. We follow him through trial and afflictions, or through life, storm, and tempest, he is our guide. So we are to be hearers and doers, and we are to maintain that balance, always remembering it's not our actions, it's Christ that saves us. We go out and study it. Brothers and sisters, don't just rely on what the preacher says. Go out, read it, study it. Make it a daily practice regular practice, make it, if you can't read it, you can always listen. That's the nice thing about the technology we have. Pray about it, talk about it, with each other. Practice it. Why? God has written his law upon our hearts, and he has set us free. And he has given us his spirit and he is continually changing us. Looking forward to the day when we shall be completely free and sin shall be no more. We need constant forgiveness, constant assurance of grace, constant reminders to follow Jesus and live like him. So we have to take the word and let it live in us richly. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We like the word preached because it constantly reminds us of our need for forgiveness and of God's provision of that forgiveness by grace in Jesus Christ. That word, this word, is constantly reminding us that we are righteous, not in ourselves, but in Christ alone. And so we want to reflect that as he is righteous. In good times or in bad, we want to reflect him. This word, in the midst of all of our difficulties, reminds us that Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross, is raised from the dead, he's ascended into glory, and he reigns on high, a man on the throne of the universe, and he is working in all things for the sake of his church. He is sovereign. When you watch the news, keep that in mind. When you worry about the church, keep that in mind. We have, according to this book, victory in Christ. We are already new creations. But what we will be, 
we have not yet seen. But boy, someday it will be a glorious transition. The test of whether we believe whether we believe God's word is whether we obey it. Especially when it runs counter to things I really don't want it to be teaching me. And that happens sometimes. That's when you know whether you are a hearer and doer of God's word. And true Christianity not only hears the word of God, but does the word of God. And this is something we must take with absolute seriousness. Christ has been perfectly obedient for us through all manner of trials, even to the cross. And in him, we have been raised to newness of life and exalted to the glories of heaven. Are you following him? Are you reflecting him? Are you doers of the word and not just hearers? We all will fail in that, sadly. We will all offend him again because we are sinful people. But pick up the word and run to him who forgives and who gives his spirit unto eternal renewal. Let us pray. Amen. Our Father and our God, we would both be hearers and doers of the word. And so we pray, bless us by your spirit that we will now be able to practice your word. Our Lord and our God, we bow before you and we acknowledge how far we fall short of your glory. We acknowledge our sin. We see our own self in this passage, how inclined we are to spiritual laziness. Convict us of it. Search us out by your spirit. Change us. Grow us in grace. In following Christ, who followed you perfectly for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.